Welcome, everybody, to this next installment of Under the Surface, a podcast for computational chemists and other drug discovery uh, personnel. I'm your host, Chris Williams. I'm the Director of Scientific Support at CCG. Here's my co-host, Dave Thompson. Hello, I'm a super, super senior scientist, I think is how I describe Super myself. senile, as we determined. Super super, as we determined oh, this week. I got demoted already. Um, and, we're, and on the theme of super senile, we have yet another uh, um, veteran of the field, Scott Rowland, who's joining us today. Thanks for being with us, Scott. Oh, glad to be here. So I, I think it's a polite way of saying I'm, I'm an old guy in drug discovery and computational chemistry. Well, it's experienced. Welcome. You're listening to Under the Surface, a podcast where we have in-depth discussions on computer-aided techniques in drug discovery. Welcome, everybody, to uh, today's installment of Under the Surface. I'm your host, Chris Williams. I have my co-host here, Dave Thompson. All right. Nice to be back, Chris. And we have today a distinguished guest, Scott Rowland. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. And I've I've known Scott for at least 20 years. Yes. And it you're a veteran of the computational drug discovery community. So can you tell us a little bit, Scott, about how you got here? Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, really when I was just first starting my scientific career, I was really trying to figure out how to put math and biology together. And I wound up in a biochemistry class and just fell in love with protein structure. And so wound up doing my PhD in a uh, protein crystallography lab, University of Alabama at Birmingham. And this was really back in the very early days of structure-based drug design. And because I was interested in math and computers, they were like, hey, we want to learn how to do all this. And I started off uh, really just trying to learn about basic things like hydrogen binding and things like that that you use in structure-based drug design. And I used uh, a small molecule database from the Cambridge Structural Database and got my PhD, wound up going to the CSD, did my postdoc, then came back, worked for a small biotech uh, startup, uh, BioCrisp. BioCrisp, though they're still, Bio-Crisp, they're still yes, around. This is where we met. Then, uh, you know, after a few years, I uh, went to Millennium and uh, they got bought by Takeda and, you know, I was there for 18 years and then did early retirement and I do consulting now. No, that's it. So how do you look in the consulting? I'm liking it. I really like it. it. It's nice because you get to focus on all the science and not necessarily have all the uh, things associated. Other things with associated. Oh, yeah, yes. The other things we will not mention. Well, yes, exactly. You, you, you did just say, I mean, I haven't known you for as long, right? I haven't yeah. known you for 20 yeah. years. I've probably known you for five or six years at this point because I supported you when you were at Takeda. Um, you skipped over a bunch there, right? I'm sure you have. Uh, so one of the things I'm very curious about is uh, our field is not that old. So when you joined, um, were you getting in on the ground floor as people were becoming to understand the importance of what is now structure-based drug discovery? Right? Oh, oh, definitely. I think uh, back in my early BioCris days, uh, or even even as a grad student, I mean, there were people, you would go to conferences and people were like, oh, what, what drugs have been discovered with structure-based drug design? This is new. How are you going to do this? There's just a lot of doubt yeah. uh, because it was, it was new, not yeah. really had been done. And of course, it's essentially, I'm old enough now that I can kind of see that, you know, it's just pretty generally accepted that structure-based drug design um, is, is a very valuable tool for 
for drug discovery. Um, but I would I would also add, I I'm while structure based drug design has really benefited drug discovery, we we're really still just scratching the surface. There is just a ton more to do. Yeah. So uh, so there there are still interesting things to do with it. Was it was it an, very much an uphill battle when you were inside a company as like an, a new you know, I imagine you were sort of the machine learning of the time and they were looking at these new upstarts with their fancy ways of approaching problems. Yeah, how how was, was that process of convincing people? Yeah, it was, I, you know, I think it was a little bit easier in my, my Chris days because that was very much geared around structure-based drug design. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, so we were very much about, about doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I think once moved to sort of larger corporate environments, you know, it was still um, kind of, you know, a little challenging sometimes to get people to believe. And, um, you know, one thing I always believed very much in doing was really working very closely with the med chemist. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually back at Takeda, mm -hmm. we've, we've had a lot of, um, uh, you had a lot, a lot of interaction of, with Yeah, them. we had, we had, we, we actually had, um, done a lot to, to make Mo easier for, mm -hmm. for the med chemist to use. Uh, and they really ad adopted it, and you know, I, and I was so I was at Takeda for 18 years, mm -hmm. so I I could really kind of see, you know, the the initial, you know, maybe a little bit of doubt or skepticism, and you know, when I when I left in 2020, it was going strong. So, so did uh, this yeah. did this change by convincing people or by just having a newer generation come in? A bit of both. Maybe maybe a bit of both, and I I, I think a good part of it was really just working with a chemist and you know because you know we were a team we we were actually embedded with the medicinal chemist we weren't really in essence that separate from them and mm -hmm. you know we were all all of us really working together just to try and advance the projects and um and discover new new therapies so uh, we were all in it together all right i know i appreciated i think you i can't remember if you gave a talk last year or a couple of years ago where you really talked about the customizations that you'd you'd built out for your colleagues. Hmm. And I very much appreciated that it was in consultation with them in the yes. service of the science you were yes. all doing together. Yes. And and that is almost how it has to be, right? Exactly. And, and you know, and, and I think, the, and you know, Chris, you mentioned we've known each other for a long time. I think there was a big emphasis. We did a lot of support work for for lead optimization, but you know, I think as, as the tools and everything have grown, you know, we switched to doing like virtual screening and things like that to discover new chemical matter. Uh, and, you know, I think these things have really, have really helped. And, you know, and I think there's, you know, also there's like more focus on like, you know, add me characterization and you looking at chemical properties. So, and that, and computational yeah. help with that yeah. too. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of teaching med chemists how to do this, is there's a few barriers. There's using the software. Yeah. There's the understanding of what the software can and can't do, what to expect right. of it. And there's also, I think, one thing that people fail to recognize in some ways, just the simple manipulation of 3D structures on a screen, yeah. right? Yeah. We're used to seeing them, right? We rotate them around, we can sort of imagine them. And of course, yeah. I think it's more difficult than maybe some of us modelers appreciate because that's yeah. why we have 3D glasses and these VR yeah. things. It's all yeah. to overcome that problem. Yeah. And I mean, maybe from your perspective, you can tell us, when, when did you sort of see some med chemists kind of get it? Yeah, it's you know I, I think in a in a variety of different projects you you and, and you know we were we were lucky we have we had a lot of um, structurally enabled projects we had crystal structures or or even uh, would produce multiple structures with 
with different ligands from the project. And I think what really makes things click for the chemist is you get some sort of shift in the SAR and you can look in the structure and see it. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there's really this sort of click and it's like, yeah, it's, and I think the way I like to describe it is, you know, the, the whole thing about structure by drug design is looking at the active site from a crystal structure is, well, or even homology models, uh, actually homology modeling is gotten really good. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't dismiss that at all, but it really kind of provides the map. And that's, that's really the way I would try to explain it to the med chemist is, you know, take your, take your chemistry med chem knowledge, look at this map, this active site and say, oh, there's like a hydrophobic patch over here. Oh, I can use this type of coupling and put some hydrophobic groups there. So, you know, just kind of use it to kind of guide things. So it's the, the complement to the map that they're all automatically generating and updating in their own brains as they have these design meetings, yeah. right? What do we know about what yeah. we just made last week? Yeah. What does that tell us about what the protein's going to do? And then when you have the crystal structure, you see it. And, and if yes. you're lucky, it all kind of comes together and it's all self-reinforcing, which yeah. kind of builds your confidence in the structural hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that was, and actually that was one thing that we really did with our customizations to Mo was to really make it very easy for the med chemist to sort of load these crystal structures in and also the models, things we kind of proposed or they proposed and had it all like superimposed in the same reference frame. So it was, so really they could just kind of pull it up very easily and look at it. Talking to some academic friends and they've, they've built out some open source packages, right? And they hold workshops, just like we do. They hold workshops, the user groups come together, the, the users of the tools come together. And they said they, they were increasingly frustrated because they could, these people would tell them, oh, this seems very useful. Oh, I'm gonna use this all the time. And then they would, they would go back to their own laboratories. And because it actually wasn't that easy to do the thing, they would just revert back to my old workflow. And so you're right, it, it's, it's, it's the full, I need to be you know, aware of the, the solution. I need to understand the solution. I need to adopt the solution. And ideally the adoption piece is really some testament to how easy you've made it yeah. by being thoughtful about having that conversation yeah. with me yeah. about why am I gonna do this in the first place? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I have to say, even you know, thinking back on on my career, some of the best times I have had is back in the old days. We used to have graphics rooms. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I remember the you one remember you had at Takeda with the silicon yeah. graphics machine yeah. is, in the corner. Yeah, is is I was just sitting down with a, a med chemist or two there at the graphics terminal and just uh, and, and of course, the beauty is now with the advances in computing, they can kind of do it. But there was really something magical about. Uh, about just sitting around the terminal and kind of talking about chemistry, yeah. what they could do, what was sort of present in the binding sites you could take yeah. advantage of. I, I think one thing I always try to encourage the medicinal chemist is really just sitting looking at structure because it is it is of huge benefit. You just you just learn a lot. There's there's insights. So as, as I said earlier, you know it's it's like it's like a map mm-hmm. for what you can mm-hmm. you can do. And uh, t- time spent looking at protein structure. Of course, that's that's how I started off. That's how I got it. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're kind of yeah, preaching to your so, own choir here. Yeah. Time looking at protein structures, you spent your yeah. whole life doing it. So uh, yeah. Yeah. it's a good thing to do. I mean, it's true. If you're not looking at the structure, yeah. Yeah. your competitor is, yeah. right? And even if you get like only a, a modicum of information from it, it's more yeah. than someone who's not looking at the yeah. structure. And, and with oh, drug yeah. discovery, it's kind of... Yeah. There's a lot of gambling in some sort. Which which oh, yeah. route is going to give me fruition or and and results? 
You don't necessarily know. Yeah. Oh, brief aside. Yes. We were talking about protein structure. Mm -hmm. So back in my early grad days, um, when I got interested in protein structure, so there was um, a publication in Annuals of Biochemistry, Jane Richardson. I don't know if you remember the old ribbon drawings Mm -hmm. she used to manually do. Mm -hmm. Well, this is old enough. It was back in the days you had to go photocopy articles and stuff. I still have that. And I met her at a conference one time, and I got her to autograph it. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So you, you're probably old enough to remember the time when, you know, even with a protein crystal structure, people thought, well, this isn't a relevant thing because the crystal structure is not the form of the protein in solution doing the job. Mm. That was, yeah. There was that. There was, and it's, in some cases, it's probably true. Yeah. But I think with yeah. kinases, they've, they've found that even the crystal form of the kinase still catalyzes. Yeah. So yeah. you got the right structure. Oh. So. oh, I have to tell you this. This is, you know, you know, we always talk about in science, you know, I think um, sort of classical experiments. And one of the, you, you probably may remember this, Chris, one of the first things I'd, I had worked on when I was a bioquist is uh, PNP, purine nucleoside phosphorylase. Really interesting because uh, it turns out, because in back in the early days, it was like, you know, are, are these active forms of the enzyme? Well, really, really slick experiment that was done by one of the scientists. Um, because PMP sort of catalyzes a reaction with, with uh, some of the um, nucleosides, it turns out you could take, a, take the, um, the crystal of the protein, put it in a QVAP, put it in a spectrophotometer, and you could actually see, if you turn it to the right wavelength, you can see product being formed. Pull the crystal out, Flatline, nothing. Put the crystal back in, and you start seeing. No, yeah, cool. just sort of prove yeah, it. Yeah, it was, yeah, it yeah, 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 yeah. Just pretty sort of classic experiments. When the company started putting everyone embedded in the groups, like, look, yeah. drug discovery is so hard that none of you are going to solve it on your own. <laughs> you guys got to work together. The medicinal chemists and the uh, the computational chemists are uh, they're having a little beef, and the biologists are in the corner just being like, "You have no idea." Uh, yeah, actually, actually, one of our uh, chief scientific officers at, at Takeda at one time said, uh, you know, drug discovery is, is the world's best team sport. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things I most enjoyed about it, just the sheer dynamism of having biologists in the same room as medicinal chemists. I mean, it's a multi-parameter optimization problem, yeah. and, and that plays out in the context of your group meetings and your SAR planning, in your SAR discussions and your planning discussions and all that good stuff. Um, and, and I mean, that's, that's kind of how you spent most of your career is one of these, these the, 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 yeah. the, the nexus for this stuff. Where yeah, ex- exactly. And I mean, it's, uh, you know, I can remember times we'd go to the coffee machine and bump into a med chemist and chatting about ideas. Oh, let's go back and look at it on the computer. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. This is pre-COVID, of course. <laughs> yes, yes. Very much pre-COVID. <laughs> very much pre-COVID. But I mean, it's good that you that, that you had the corporate culture there because I've been in yeah. some places where the you know the comp chem division is in a different building, different group, and they don't really communicate with the med chemists very much. Yeah, no, it was uh, the the wonderful thing about Takeda was uh, we, it was all a good group. It was um, it was just fantastic working with all of them. So mm-hmm. it was it was it was awesome. Okay, so I just want to switch topics a bit because now you're you're an independent agent, right? And then you're you're working you're working in, in in the Hollywood of biotech, which is the Boston area, right, and Cambridge. So in your consulting work, I've always thought you know there's a lot of companies that need need a modeler for like one month every two years, right, to do this one yep. little thing. Right. And so, what has is this that been your experience? This is my fantasy. Is my fantasy true? <laughs> 
yeah it's 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 been it's been really interesting and and i think um and what has been fantastic for me is you know i've from an early age i've just always loved science and so it's really enabled me to keep doing science mm. and um and you know and i think it's 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 really trying to help out and i love biotech startups yeah people get new ideas they're trying to generate things and you know trying to help them out they don't necessarily need a full-time person uh you know they don't have software they don't really have computers and so you know i can kind of provide a little bit of that and uh kind of help them help them get off to a running start uh and it, and it's amazing i think sometimes some of the things that you can do that you know don't necessarily take a huge amount of effort but just make a big impact on on what they do uh about just sitting around the terminal and kind of talking about chemistry what they could do what was sort of present in the binding sites you could take yeah. advantage of it's, it's just a lot of fun to get on pull up structures sit talk to them show them you know what's what's going on with things and you know if we can explain sar they are seeing yeah. you know it's just it's just awesome and, and they get you know you can just tell even even just over teleconferencing you can just see excitement in people's faces doing some of this some of the most fun experiences i've had we, we have our training materials right so we'll go visit a customer and we'll give them our training materials and what we'll offer is if it's a, if it's a big enough group or if they're interested in doing this we'll do the training materials but with their structures yeah and this is uh this is fun and exciting because you don't know if it's going to work yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, well, you and, know, Chris, you you came and did that with us. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. So, and it was just it was it was great. I've had the good fortune of working with some really fantastic medicinal chemists, and just some of the creativity and the solution. I mean, it's just it's amazing some of the solutions I come up with for stuff. You would have thought, you know, how how do you sort of fit this thing in there? And um, and it's it's just it's just it's amazing. So we wanted to talk about pharmacophores because. The, the title of this podcast is Fun with Pharmacophores. Yes. Right? Because and exceedingly fun. Extremely fun. So pharmacophores, like it's, it's actually defined by IUPAC. There's, there's, it's, you know, the, the set of steric and electronic features yeah. necessary for interaction with a biological target or something like that. I paraphrased it. But definitely when I go into a room and say pharmacophore, like at a training session, I get some people nodding emphatically. Some people like looking like a... <laughs> It's Greek, or is it yeah. <laughs> when it is Greek? Yeah. Um, but it, it seems to be a concept that everyone knows about, but no one agrees upon. And yeah, I think I think I think you're right there a little bit. I think conceptually, everyone kind of has some vague idea of what they think it is. It's just I think it's um, you know getting down to the the sort of formal uh, kind of specification of it is then where you know because I think you know because like within Mo the pharmacophore query engine you know there's all sorts of flexibility with what you can do and you know i think especially in comparison like back in the early days when you were doing ligand based drug design and and it's just and you know and i, and I think you know we sort of i think initially came up with the idea of pharmacophores when you didn't have crystal structures and stuff so yeah li yeah ligand based yeah. design yeah mm -hmm. but you know Pharmacophores work fantastic with structure-based drug design too. Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting point too because I think now with with lots of crystal structures, you know, it, yeah. it it gets very compelling to go get a crystal structure, run it through the complete SBDD workflow. Yeah. But there's there's kind of a lost art of of 
you know, the, the, the chemists looking mm. at their 2D diagrams and generating this 2D cartoon pharmacopoeia based on SAR observations yeah. and other yeah. stuff. And, you know, I think that's, I don't know if it's coming back, but, you know, it's, it's something that I think I don't see as much as I used to. Yeah, it's, I, you know, I think, um, you, know, you, you know, you and I talked about this. I, I think, you know, I think chemists, med chemists very naturally think this way. I mean, I've, I've sat in enough chemistry design meetings and uh, chemistry meetings. You know, you get pictures of scaffolds with colored balloons over mm -hmm. different pieces and mm -hmm. what they've learned with the SAR. And I think, and I think really um, what having the, the computational fun for, for lack of a better phrase, yeah. Yeah. It, it just, it lets you do so much more with it. You can yeah. then start to apply it. Well, it becomes, it becomes actionable, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. But, but it must also be consistent yeah. with with their exploration and their understanding what's in the literature what have we understood as a project team um and and now it yeah. becomes i mean you're going to talk about this i think tomorrow yeah or, or, exactly of, of friday but you're well yeah it's, but i think tomorrow or friday um but you're right the the i think we presented and it is partly our fault is a, the pharmacopoeia is a technology mm -hmm. you're going to click on this these things yeah. you got this screen up here these these funny colored spheres they've never seen before mm -hmm. and then i press a button and i go search a database and it's, it's like a docker and what yeah. dials do i have to push but the idea yeah. that the that the pharmacophore in 2d which is the ben chem the chem draw drawing with the, yeah. the powerpoint annotations is really the same thing as a 3d mm -hmm. picture of this mm -hmm. and maybe it's back to the whole can you see something in 2d because chem, chemists make chemists see things in 2d no problem Oh, yeah. I love I love their two D diagrams and structures, but I think when it gets to three D, there's a couple things they don't maybe understand why you want to do it in three D so much. And there's of course, yeah. am I using the technology right? Then there's a question: of, Do I have the bioactive confirmation? Yeah. So all that stuff starts to, you know, get in the way of them spending a lot of time working in the three D. And as we said before, ChemDraw works. I know how to use it. Yeah. <laughs> I can get a nice picture yeah. that explains things quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know I think too it's it's important to realize that you know pharmacophores aren't static things. As chemists make compounds and test them, it's it's very much a living, breathing thing, and you kind of add to it. And you know, and especially if you start, uh, you know, get to some point where you're starting to explore different scaffolds and things like that, it's just it's really, as you said, Dave, it's it is something actionable. You can go and kind yeah. of test. I mean, certainly in a structure-based context, you. Like do docking and stuff, but I still think there is there is a benefit to that pharmacophoric description. We we had this wackadoodle line of research, and this I credit this to Chris because uh, he he I think the work you're going to present tomorrow on the psychedelics is uh, is where I first read this. But Chris described the pharmacophore as a meme. Yeah, a right. meme for our understanding of binding. Right, right. And, and and think right. So you know you were at Takeda for 18 years. Think about the number of times you worked on a project stopped working on the project and then picked the project back up again later yeah. right the ideas that you'd encoded in that project in the yeah. beginning kind of got carried through and everyone had that shared understanding the mimetic yeah. understanding yeah. of the canonical features yes. of your class of compounds yeah. that may or may not have been related to activity yeah. and yeah. i think that's a really powerful idea yeah, yeah. And, and and i think not not to beat a to beat a dead horse here but you know i keep talking about you know looking at structure is kind of like a map yeah and and really the follow-up was kind of how like you sort of drawn your route in a sense yes on the map yeah, yeah. as to how things kind of work yeah which, what you discovered yeah 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 it has to be 
So, so you've. It sounds like you have, or are in the process of building a map of kind of approved drugs. Is that true? Yeah. So that's that's one thing I'm I'm really interested in is is really trying to take, um, and and I'm doing this with crystal structures. So, uh-huh. so really trying to identify, uh, important features and and think well, even trying to think about concepts like, um, you know, we talk about ligand efficiency and mm-hmm. and fragment-based drug design mm-hmm. well you know can we think about pharmacophoric efficiency oh. you know, how, how many how many so like you put up a structure in mo uh, or ligand and you know it, it kind of annotates that yeah and you know we we usually don't use everything no. some things don't get used how how much how much of different ligands and different targets get used what's in common um and you know it's just kind of a different not not to, not to send no well, actually no like yeah, it's, it's just it's just a modified version of ligand yeah. ligand efficiency is number of atoms right yeah. so let's let, let's get a little you know more granular less granular yeah. in a sense yeah. right and not number of atoms but number of features like a, instead of having six atoms for yeah. benzene it's one yeah. thing it's like yeah. and and ligand efficiency is how many of these um pharmacophoric elements you might think of it as an, an alphabet of the pharmacophores that proteins like to see they like to see like a glutamate likes to see two donors here something yeah. this kind of motif of residues like to see a donor donor acceptor right yeah. and when you present a new molecule some of its pharmacophore elements are satisfied the protein some of them aren't and and what is the what is the, the penalty for that so ligand efficiency yeah. is you know number of atoms not interacting but maybe a modified version would be you know pharmacophoric efficiency yeah. and it would just be Something similar, yeah. but the atoms group based on pharmacophore, not just every atom with the same weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 actually, in, in in some ways, Dave, it's 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 almost like a return to my roots, as it were, because I was saying in the beginning, you know, I I kind of really started off very early, looking at like um, parameters like hydrogen bonding, mm-hmm. looking at like um, aromatic stacking and all that type stuff. And this is really, in a way, kind of an extension of that. Mm-hmm. It, it's like you know, looking at this huge wealth of structures we've got now, and and just seeing, in, in kind of a different context, how how does all that sort of sort of map out? Mm. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I'm yeah, looking yeah. forward to that. I guess you get a cool. sort of like a pharmacophoric description. Yeah, you know, and uh, like different types of pocket, different types of motifs. It'll be interesting to see how far that can go. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a super abstract representation. I wonder how much of how much of what we need to know is kept in that representation and how much of it's lacking? Because that will inform how useful this thing ultimately That's right. is. That's right. Is it, is, it fine, is it fine-grained enough to actually find differences? Exactly. Or are we just going to find, well, every protein likes to see an exactly. acceptor? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but that's why I think you're looking at approved drugs is kind of interesting, right? We know yeah. if, you, if you think about it yeah. as, as your map, right, yeah. that you keep talking about, we, we, these, are, these are points on the space that we know we care about commercially yeah. and the patients obviously use and value. So now we can think about where we've that the super small piece of chemical space we've explored from that. It could almost be like concept. a Lipinski's rule for pharmacophores in a sense. Ex- oh, exactly. Right? Oh my exactly. goodness. And after we just dissed rule based methods, we're gonna make our own. Let's make our own. It's gonna be better, of yeah. course, because we made it. But um, <laughs> but it, it, I think it's yeah. a different it's a different yeah. way of looking at it. It'll yeah. probably give you a little bit of signal more than yeah. others, but I think it might be a little more in like a little less it might be a little more satisfying in just the atom efficiency things, which is number of atoms. This is more like what like a, a benzene ring is got, like it doesn't like water. You know, yeah. when you put a color, so is the the raw atoms might be not be enough, but the fragments might actually tell us something. Yeah. 
yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting experiment. To see just to see what pops up. Well, when it's done, then you come back and you uh, next you, year. Yeah, next you year. tell us how it yeah, went. So if we, if we have an episode two on this, it worked. If we don't, we just like quietly forget it. Yeah, exactly. And we never heard from Scott again. <laughs> Excellent. So that's good. Okay, look. So I think we better wrap it up. The yep. sun's shining. We yes. want to get out to the terrace and uh, have some drinks that's and enjoy right. the yes, rest of the evening. Yes, definitely drinks. UGM. So look. Thanks, Scott, very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you, We hope to have you again sometime. And uh, for, the, for our listeners, stay tuned for the next episode. See you around. Yeah. And See you thanks around. for listening to me ramble. <laughs> Excellent. Not, it, was, not it, ramble. Was, it was joyful. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Under the Surface. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an upcoming episode. Until then, signing off.